Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to a Friday edition of the People's Show, the final People's Show of the year. Hanging out with myself, Vic Mazar, Israel Fair, Lena Elon behind the glass today, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotic provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Your Vancouver Canucks coming off a loss after the holiday break. 4-1 to the Philadelphia Flyers. We get to uh, talk about it all heading into the new year. Not a New Year's Eve show or anything like that, but it's the last one before 2024. Good vibes coming into uh, 2024, Izzy? I'm feeling great. Feeling great? Yeah. Good year? Good year? Pretty good year. Uh, 650, 650, uh, already some early shouts coming in, uh, keep coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So what do we take away from last night? I was kind of making this point on the postgame show mm-hmm. and you know, Sat, you know, push back on it too. It's like, well, you can't really come to big conclusions over one game. Which, look, there's merits to that, of course. But last night, like, I've done this thing here on this show, on post games, of, you know, echoing the idea that the Canucks, like, while the record is one thing, if you were to power rate them, like, there's still people that look at this and say, well, they're not Vegas. Okay. So if you do that with however many teams, you get the Canucks somewhere around, like, the 10th best team in the league. Yep. Seems fair to me. And yesterday was an indicator of like, okay, this is why you don't get too hyped on, on like a raw stat like points four. There's context to it all because who have you played? When have you played them? Have you played backup goalies? All this sort of stuff that colors in the pictures of why we spend so many hours on these airwaves and why you're furious in the group chats and why you're positive <laughs> about this team. All those things. It, it's more than just the raw point total to say, hey, they're first in the league and so they merits a, a – a, respect of being the first place team it, it matters to view the how the team is shaping up and so i look at it and say like yeah it, the, the 10th or 12th best team in the league can have a performance like that where they can't just play on 20 minutes and hope to get out with the win vegas is allowed to do that and i've probably done that a few times i haven't watched every single vegas golden knights game all 37 this year but i imagine there's a couple of moments where the vegas golden knights have cruise their way through a 20-minute game against a you know, t- top 20 team. The Canucks have done it against Chicago. They've done it against San Jose. And you can do that against the bottom five teams in the league. But Philadelphia works hard. And it's the same recipe that the Canucks ate earlier in the year at October 17th, where they lost 2 nothing, where the Flyers outworked them. And the Canucks are, and that was the game where Rick Tockett was, you know, who do we think we are? Mm -hmm. Last night to me was another lesson or another opportunity of looking at this and saying, yeah, okay, the Canucks are, it it gives more credence to the fact that the Canucks are probably somewhere on the 12th best team in the league. That'll be a good question for Yannick later today because Mm -hmm. I've heard him and other members of that team, I think Kevin BX has mentioned it on air as well, where the President's Trophy winning team if they they were within a goal going into the third period, they knew they were going to win, mm-hmm. right? Like the Canucks, th- these Canucks are not in that space. And as you said, Vic, they can do it against Chicago. They can do it against San Jose. Last night's game was frustrating. 
and to me, my takeaway from last night, and maybe it's a little too big for the one game sample, in the middle of that game, right before the two minutes that were mm-hmm. a total disaster, that game was screaming for someone to take it over. And far too often, because who scores the first goal for Vancouver? That third line. That's the line that's setting the tone for them mm-hmm. right now. So I put my eyes on the top two lines. Where were you when that game, in a very frustrating environment, where we we know what the, like that was not a surprising performance by the Flyers. Not in the least. They have established that as their identity. Where where are the top two lines to grab hold of a game that was there to grab hold of? Not in the way that it's a free-flowing back-and-forth, talent-v-talent, power-v-power. No. Do it from an uncomfortable spot. Do it from a game that's frustrating and a little bit chaotic. It wasn't certainly not the cleanest game that we've seen any mm-hmm. team play this year early on, first game after the holidays. But the you cliche played out. out of that. It, you should. Yeah. You should. And I'm not going to overblow the results from one game, but my mind in that second period was going, well... Is it is it going to come down to the third line? And there was a little moment there in the third when that line connects on another nice goal where if they had gotten the second, okay, it maybe it's back on. They give up a, a goal on the power play. The, you know, the game, the game goes away from there. Mm-hmm. But there were moments to grab there. And it Rick Tockett has been, I think, very smart to not oversell the the results to date mm-hmm. and this is one to me where that should be a lesson in these are the kind of games that we're going to have to win that that's it's it's a tough it's a tough result he used the l word not lost lesson last night often and look it, it's when you're having success you can take lessons on previously in previous seasons the canucks ruined the start of their season that when lessons were there to be learned in January, February, nobody wanted to hear that because you need to see the application of the lesson immediately. The response needed to be immediate to try to rectify the situation or get back on track in the season, and they just never could. Now, you hear, oh, learn a lesson. Okay, you, you can apply the, 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 the application has to happen, but you have a bit of a runway to apply it here because you do have... 49 points through 36 games. So you, you, you've got a bit of a runway to a margin of error to take your time learning this lesson. Yeah, they've but, bought themselves yeah, some time. But obviously nobody wants to see the lesson be learned in three weeks. They want to see it learned Tuesday night against Ottawa. Yes. But yeah. so far this season, they've shown that they can reset They've rebounded, yeah. And they've rebounded. But, you know. I mean, that was the issue. You talk about those starts uh, in the yeah. previous years where their, their seasons get sunk. It was repeating the same errors over and over. And what they've done to this point, at least, is stem the tide. Doesn't mean they're a perfect team. They certainly still have some holes. Uh, you know, We talked about the penalty kill. We've been talking about the penalty kill so far this week. And you know, that's a Flyers team with a terrible worst, power play. Yeah. Uh, you end up you know, putting yourself behind there. We'll, we'll get to some of the Pedersen stuff because his name was mentioned again in 32 Thoughts. Similar to the you know, conversation we had yesterday, you can go back to the People Show podcast uh, as well. Just more a continuation of that conversation. So well, we'll get to that later on as well. Yannick Hansen will join us as well at uh, 5 o'clock. 
Uh, also, at 4 o'clock, Julia Ranney will join us, uh, talk EPL from Sportsnet and The Guardian. Also, Allison Lucan will join us here in about 15 minutes uh, for from the Too Much Man podcast and also uh, Root Sports covering the Seattle Kraken as they get ready for their Winter Classic and uh, just a look at the Western Conference and everything happening in the NHL. Okay, so what are the changes that have to happen thereafter? Today we see a practice, and they practice today. Rick Taka was really excited post-game about all the practices. Uh, PDG goes back to the Miller and Besser line. Hoaglander goes as the extra skater. Uh, let's actually hear from uh, Rick Tockett, and uh, we'll, we'll delve into it all afterwards. Here's Rick Tockett after practice today. Yeah, I, I just, we, we had to throw some practices together. I mean, I, you can, even having some meetings with players, so they, they feel that we need practice, and it's good. Uh, a little bit of battle, and we'll have a good one tomorrow, and then we'll give them a day off. So, you know, it's two good days of resetting um, off a three-day break. As a coach, you have to love a stretch like this where you get to fine-tune some things and work on some things with the group. Yeah, there's some things that we haven't even touched on. Well, you have, but not really live and reps-wise, so I think we get, we get involved. I think today we needed a little bit more contact, and then tomorrow we'll dive into more system stuff. But I think, um, yeah, as a coach, you, you, you know, you like to see battling um, because that's, that's what really the second half is all about. You went back to Phil on that line with JT and Brock. He earned that opportunity out of training camp. Yeah. His production certainly has slipped a yeah. little, and I think his play has. You brought him right out of the lineup. If he gets that opportunity, what do you need from him in that spot? It's just to get like a four check. And we have about four or five guys are going to be probably rotating out of different positions. That's with the, the type of team we have. So whoever can sustain that kind of level of play where winning battles, getting on the four check, being good defensively. So that's why you'll see probably some more rotation of certain guys. That's just the that's the world we live in. Uh, so hopefully some guys grab a hold of these positions. Um, I need more guys to be first on the puck and coming up with pucks, you know. Um, and that's just not for Giuseppe or whoever. That's for our team. We, we, we got to get more forechecking from some certain guys, more puck possession for some guys. How would you describe his season to this point, though, from starting <clears throat> at a pretty high point? It has kind of tailed off. Yeah, I, I think for him, his whole career, it's like sustainability. I think he's done a really nice job. Um, you know, he's obviously been I mean, coming from the minors. You know, he's one of my favorites in the sense that you know he's a, a guy that works his butt off. But now the next level is: can you hold on to pucks? You know, can you be in right positions? Uh, can you make a play under pressure? And those are the things that he's going to have to constantly work on his game every day. And uh, but the one good thing is he'll always give it effort. That's what I really respect about Phil. You guys were so frustrated last night yeah. how things went. But you zoom out. You had a pretty good month. You won most of your games. Yeah. Barely lost in regulation. How do you, how do you square those two things? Yeah, I, I think what I what I like about the team is yeah the success and the, the we, I talked to you guys about the result, but the process of it. I think our process hasn't been as great. I know the record says it's good, but I think our process sometimes has slipped. Play without the puck, some egregious, egregious mistakes, things that we can't let creep in. Um, so I think you know. That I, myself, even a player, we can't be comfortable. We have to be more in a comfortable mode. So I think that's really the, you know, my job is obviously make it a safe environment, comfortable for the guys to come and don't get me wrong, but we can't be satisfied. And I think we can't let little things slip. I think we'll play without the puck, you know, turnovers. It's, it's percentage points. You know, we're, we're, we're not as good as that the last month, but we're getting results. But now we've got to make sure it doesn't creep into our game where the results turn to losses. How's the process of well, it's an interesting thing. There's a bit of frustration. Um, you know, for me, that, you know, they know uh, we have to work a little bit harder. Uh, but, you know, 
Petey had a great A chance right in the slot and missed the net. Brock had a wide open net back door, which he usually scores. One of those guys scored, all of a sudden, we say, hey, the power play's okay. So I think we got to be careful. I think the execution, we've had some guys had some chances to score, and we haven't. Um, so I think we just got to make sure the frustration level doesn't affect our work ethic. We've seen this group reset and respond throughout the season after a game you yeah. didn't like. Do you feel that the team has that same hunger, knowing that there's a really great chance to capitalize with this extra time over the next few days? Yeah, I, I mean, there's just like the effort and practice. They, I mean, they had a really good effort, good workman, like like everybody. Everybody really worked hard. So that's a, that's a positive. But I think, you know, we have to understand it's going to be some uncharted waters for this group. You know, we've some guys have never been in this situation before, um, and it's going to get tougher and tougher. So we got to make sure that we're ready for it. You know, every detail matters. Every rep in practice, every meeting we have, every mental rep matters. Uh, and I think mo- it's going to be more under the magnifying glass as the season goes on. You talked about guys rotating through on those top lines, whether it's DJ Sampi yeah. or Hoaglander. How hard is it to find that level of consistency to stick in a spot like that when you're, you know, battling for it? And what really does it take to to stay in that sort of spot in the lineup? I mean, that's good NHL players is consistency. You know, can you do it eight and ten, nine times out of ten? You know, not, you know, can you string a bunch of good games together? It's hard to forecheck all the time. It's hard to be in position. It's hard to take a 30-second shift and come off hard. You know, you can do it. Some guys can do it for a game or two, but it's hard to keep doing it. So, um, you know, we have to continue to build those guys into knowing what it takes. Uh, can't take a practice off. I mean, that's what all the really good hockey players do. They do it most of the times consistently. So um, that's our coach staff has to keep pushing those limits to those players. And not, not just the whole, our whole team. It's just not, I don't even want to mention those guys, but it's everybody. There's Vancouver Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to media today after a spirited practice where uh, he said we needed more contact. More system stuff tomorrow, but needed more contact. And details there on PDG and Hoaglander. You kind of knew this was a thing of, you know, he's constantly looking for one player to be skating all the time, getting on the forecheck all the time, being the first one on the puck all the time and and when there's not a natural baseline of you know for what you were saying someone grabbed that game by the scruff of the neck yeah when, when when you're not one of those guys and some leeway will be extended to you if maybe you you do that in a game you're gonna get pushed out real fast and is it unfair sometimes it knows hoaglander that it's not a long runway yeah maybe but He's been fair about this with Sam Lafferty, and he's been fair about this with Suter, and he's been fair about it with uh, Kuzmenko and now PDG. Mm-hmm. PDG had his run, and he did uh, it was, start of the season. It was probably he more was successful. The guy. Like I, I don't know if anyone's had a better run than PDG in the top six. I'd over. have to imagine the numbers back that up. Just like the goals for the, the, on the, the ice when he yeah. was on the first, I call it. Eight ten games. Yeah. Now he, he, Lafferty it, also had a nice run. Yeah. It, it deserved to like he deserved to come out and he off did. that line. I, I mean he he got he got some rope. Yeah. I, he with the I guess you know call it the first five games mm-hmm. bought himself another five games yeah. and then it reached the point of you know okay time to time to try something else. Lafferty was mm-hmm. seven or eight. Hoaglander's gotten some opportunities. I know he's the one from that group that it maybe seems a little bit harsh. Mm-hmm. But that's I'm the standard. I'm surprised that it's extra skater. We were saying last night, it's like I can understand him going back to the fourth line. By the way, he thrived in the fourth line. Mm-hmm. And that's why he got boosted up. I'm surprised that it's gone from second line potentially out of the lineup. Because it, it the, the line today over at practice uh, remained as 
um, Pedersen, Kuzmenko, and Mikheyev. And then it was Joshua Blue Garland. You know, that's not getting broken up. And then it was Oman, Suter, Lafferty. And I'm surprised it's not Oman or Lafferty coming out. And that Hoaglander can go back and do a fourth-line role. Where, again, he had success. And he's, he was almost like the fourth-line Garland. Yeah, like that's what I mean. It seems harsh, but the, also the expectations for him are maybe a little bit higher. And that's not even just... This is probably frustrating for fans to hear, but it's not even just what he'll bring to the team you know, in their next game. Mm-hmm. There is a bit of a longer, like, hey, sure. like, you're younger than these guys. You have more draft pedigree than these guys. You have a, a bigger bar to clear because the ceiling is there for Hoaglander to potentially be the third guy on a second line that can make an impact. But how do you reach that player? How do he was effective in that fourth line role, but is that the best thing for him right now? Obviously, the coach thinks that maybe not. But the way that they've rotated this, I think, deserves some credit and also just shows that, like, there's been a ton of rotation with these wingers. And, you know, if you think it's harsh on Hoaglander, then you, you have to imagine that uh, it's harsh on Kuzmenko as well. 650 650. Uh, we'll save some of your thoughts for later on in the show, but keep getting in your thoughts uh, anytime you want to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, we'll touch on a bunch of stuff uh, with the Winter Classic and uh, peering around the league as well with Allison Lucan, who joins us next from the Too Many Men podcast and also Root Sports covering the Seattle Kraken. It's all on the way here on the People Show, Sportsnet 650. Continuing on, the People Show here on Sportsnet 650, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair here with you. Joining us now from the Too Many Men podcast and Root Sports covering the Seattle Kraken. It's Allison Luke and Allison, how are you? Hey, friends, I'm great. How are you? Uh, we are doing well. Uh, plenty of stuff to get into with uh, Seattle right now as uh, we're gearing up for the Winter Classic. It'll be a nice marquee event, uh, the big day for the NHL. But even uh, getting ready for the game against Philly, uh, kind of an interesting spot because we just got to see uh, the, the Flyers as well. Uh, but impressions of what the, the Kraken season has been and uh, just getting ready for uh, this game. Yeah, I think that the Kraken are probably pretty happy that this game is coming at this point in their schedule and not a few weeks ago where they struggled through an eight-game losing streak and some pretty unmemorable performances. Uh, They were lacking consistency and and just seemed to lack confidence as a result as well as having quite a few key players go down with injury. But They've started to find their groove. They've got a seven-game point streak going. It's going to be interesting to see what they do against the Flyers because I, I watched that game last night, obviously, and this is a Flyers team that is certainly living and breathing a lot of Tortorellian hockey, <laughs> and I think it's going to be valuable to see if the Kraken can focus on the game at hand and not get distracted by, by what they know is coming and all that's been going on around the city and around the team. Uh, the Canucks have had two pretty tough games against uh, Philadelphia so far this year. And uh, I know you've covered John Tortorella quite a bit in his career. This is uh, uh, quite the turnaround for this team. What 
what have you seen from the Flyers? Because the the Canucks fans probably believe that they, they are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, one of the best teams in the league, just uh, based on the way that they've played against Vancouver this season. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, right? And I think it's interesting the, the few times I've been able to catch Torts post-game comments or pre-game comments. I think he's pretty good at pumping the brakes too much on expectations, particularly because he knows that his front office is probably going to stick to the grander plan at place. But the Flyers are really interesting right now. They're first in the league in the number of defensive plays that they make per game, which of course tracks with a John Tortorella-led team. But, you know, I see, too, that aggressive penalty kill. You credit assistant coach Bradshaw, who Vancouver knows as well, with bringing that style of play when shorthanded. They've got some players back. And I do think also that, you know, along with Travis Konechny, being able to really contribute effectively this season, obviously he left last night, um, both Bradshaw and John Tortorella in particular are finding ways to do something they're both very good at, which is be youth whisperers and help these young players develop tactical and intangible skills that they need to become part of what everyone in Philadelphia hopes is going to be a winning team. As we gear up for uh, January 1st as well, uh, you know, what does this event mean for the, the organization? Um, is, is this just another you know, step of you know, the, the, the post-expansion era Kraken and, and, and being the centerpiece for the NHL for a day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really significant, and I think it's it's almost funny that maybe people who are newer to NHL hockey in this part of the world are, are going to realize later how significant it is, right? We know of plenty of markets that don't see as much attention with a lot longer lifespan, but I think it does, as you say, point out that the league really values what's happening here. They're bringing marquee events, they're bringing dollars, they're bringing eyes, they're bringing attention and I think that the Kraken are also taking that very seriously. As much as the franchise is young, there's, you know, 13 players who've played in outdoor NHL games before. There's coaches who've coached them, and they know the significance of not just the two standings points that they need, but the eyes of the hockey world looking at them, and they want to perform well with that kind of a spotlight. So I think that from a community perspective, from honestly a financial perspective, and then from a hockey perspective, it's it's nothing but positive, and we'll see how Seattle and, and the Kraken can hopefully grab the reins of that momentum. When Seattle entered the league, we spent a lot of time up here in Vancouver discussing them being the obvious rival for the Canucks, uh, but there is that tie-in with the Golden Knights. They're going to get the opportunity to have that spotlight on New Year's Day. What is the view in Seattle of their expansion cousins in in Vegas? Is it seen as a friendly rivalry? Is there some competition there? Obviously, the Golden Knights have set the bar pretty high by winning the Stanley Cup. Is that something that Kraken fans look at as as something that's realistic for, for their team in the next few years to try to compete for? Yeah, I think, you know, the two franchises have two very different GMs which two, with two different philosophies and how to build a winner. And I think Kraken fans understand that it might take a tiny bit longer here with the patience uh, that Ron Francis loves to exhibit to points of great success in his history. But I think from a from a Kraken fan base perspective, they actually don't look at Vegas as much of a rifle arrival. Excuse me, there, there's probably some eye rolling <laughs> because the comparisons were so many that first year. And you know, let's be honest, a rivalry comes from the fact that there's skin in the game on both sides. And the Kraken honestly have not been able to put up as enough of a sustained fight against Vegas. They kind of own the series between these two teams throughout the Kraken's lifetime. 
I think there's there's more tenaciousness with the with the Canucks. There's been you know some injuries that people get upset about. There's been some closer games, some bigger games that have started or stopped streaks. And and I think that for Kraken fans too, the other teams they look at as rivals is Colorado, given what happened in the playoffs. Again, given some animosity that came out of that series and and a little bit more of an evenness in the back and forth between the two across the three years. You mentioned the eight-game losing streak that they had uh, there at the tail end of uh, November and then into December. And usually, like we've seen in this market, seven bad games at the start of a season can sink your season. And here I am looking at the Western Conference standings, and the crack can find themselves you know, three points out, not too far behind Nashville. And just looking at the Western Conference landscape, I am less inspired. I've been mentioning this to you know a lot of interviews we've had on the station. I'm less inspired by the Western Conference wildcard chase than I am the East, where you look, it's it's the Devils with you know Hughes and all the firepower that they have. Tampa, historic success. Pittsburgh with Crosby and whatnot. And then I look at the West, and it's it's Arizona. And, and look, they're 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 a pucky team and a good team this year. Nashville, St. Louis, Minnesota, and this eight game stretch for Seattle doesn't feel like it's sunk their season at all. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? You know, the, the thing that was biting them through that eight-game stretch is that they had, in some cases, quite a few more games played than the other teams that they were hanging with. If you go back to that, you know, storyline of whoever's is in a playoff spot at American Thanksgiving is, is pretty good chance to get in. But they had, you know, a, quite a few more games at that point than everyone else. I'm worried that that eight-game streak, losing streak might come back to hurt them. But, but again, like you say, there's kind of this mushy middle in the West. And I think the reason the storylines aren't as compelling is when you look at some of those teams, they're not being consistent enough yet or doing enough dynamically yet to really garner attention to say, hey, I'm invested, whether it's a, I'm invested in this team surprising me in a good way or surprising me in a bad way. So it's, it's interesting, but I don't feel like there's the like, ah, between divisional games yet either. It's just, it's just... I'd like a team to come up and try and grab it and take hold. You mentioned that the mushy middle, and there are a bunch of teams that you could put in that group right now. I'm curious, though, from your perspective, uh, you know, Vancouver's tied with Vegas and points in the Pacific. Colorado and Winnipeg are at the top uh, in Dallas as well in the Central. Uh, people here in Vancouver are obviously very happy with the number of points, the number of wins so far this season, but uh, I don't think anyone's planning a parade just yet. When you look at this West, which, which teams are the real elite teams for you? What are the two or three teams that you see from this group that have separated themselves from that mushy middle? Yeah, and I, I do. I think it's the top three right now in Vancouver, Vegas, and L.A. I think that not only did those groups come out strong, um, but they, they banked points early, right? And we know we're about to go into that part of the season where it's a little harder to dig in and find motivation for the game on January 18th against maybe a team that isn't as competitive right now. And so having those points early gives you a lot more wiggle room as the season goes on as compared to an Edmonton, right, that's played – too much bad hockey to allow any much more of that to seep into their season. So I think not only because of the skill and the ability and the adherence and execution to systems that are working for them, but also the results that they've gotten already put those three on kind of my top watch list. You mentioned it there too, of, of the, the three Pacific teams having success in, in the early you know, first 40 games so far this season. From now to like the trade deadline, is there a couple teams you looked at maybe defines what the West is rather than those three Pacific teams? Oh, that's a good question. You know, as I look, I, I'm interested to see how Calgary handles 
some of these big names that are potentially going to be trade targets. We keep, we, there's been one trade, obviously. Um, there's, there's rumor of a couple others. Which way does the pendulum swing for them? And if that's a bottoming out for Calgary, who gets those points mm-hmm. as Calgary stops necessarily fighting for them as competitively? And I find the Blues just overall interesting. It's, they're in a good spot in the standings, at least right now. But, you know, they, they had a coaching change. There's a lot of turmoil there recently. And, and I don't know that I'm completely bought into their overall plan or for long term or even for short term. So those might be the two that I have bigger question marks and I think could impact what happens down the stretch. What about Seattle, though, in that same frame? Like, you know, it's been trending better here. They've won three in a row. Maybe they can grab a wild card spot. But if they're in the, the Calgary vein where come March 8th, they're, they're not as successful. What could the ramifications on that roster look like? Because it is still, you know, as much as we say they've made great progress, this is season three for them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that if if they're too far out of it, you know, you're going to see a lot of attention go around some of their unrestricted free agents. You have Jordan Eberle, you have Alex Wenberg, you have Justin Schultz. There are, you know, there are some players who have played good hockey even this season. And again, as I said, you know, at the top, Ron Francis is a patient general manager. I think it's fair to say if you look at the age and, and the placement of some of the young elite talent that is coming through the Kraken organization, their window starts to really open in the next few years. So there was a recent vote of faith in the room with bringing in Tomas Tatar. But if things don't come back together, are, are players going to be moved? I'm sure Ron Francis is going to see if there are deals out there to be made that, that are the right value to, to move players away from the organization. We always hear that term also at the deadline of you know, the, 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 the bigger value is getting the guy for two playoff runs. Uh, could it extend to like a Brandon Tanev and Adam Larson? Because you look at those guys, you say, hey, these are real, true playoff like guys that trans- their games transition to the playoffs. And I look at those two and Will Borgen, is, are, could they be part of the conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think if you're any good general manager, there's realistically probably only one or two players that are absolutely on your do not move list. So I think, you know, I don't, I don't talk to Ron Francis about his strategy, but I think that for sure he probably listened to offers. Um, if with the players you mentioned, is it pr- maybe trending more to keeping a Borgen just because he's a little bit younger and seems to be bursting into his true full game right now and so maybe that matches better with the Kraken timeline than than Tanev maybe I don't know but I think that depending on how things are shaking out does Ron pick up the phone on any call and listen I think he does I don't know if he says yes but I think he'd listen if the Seattle is going to make the playoffs uh, it's going to have to hold off Edmonton I think most NHL fans out there would expect that Edmonton's going to be able to push the crack in here, but what does a, a, you know a successful playoff push and, and holding off Edmonton look like from the crack? And what what does their game look like? What are the kinds of things that they'll have to accomplish on the ice to keep themselves above Edmonton in the standings? Yeah, I mean the first one is consistency. I, I mentioned in that eight game losing streak, it just didn't look like the same team sometimes period to period or game to game and. That's not a way to win hockey games. So they have to be consistent. 
Um, they have to try and get a little bit healthier. You know, right now, two players who, well, a player who's been very good for them this season, Jaden Schwartz is out of the lineup. Philip Grubauer has been very good. He's out of the lineup. Um, Andre Burakovsky looks like he might be coming back, if not tonight, very soon. But he hasn't been able to play for them but one a couple games this season. So they need to be healthy. And then I think that they, you know, the way that they need to play to be successful is a very hardworking physical style that relies on speed both through their feet and through their confidence in successfully passing to get through defenses and into the attack zone so those are some of the elements that I watch for when I want to feel like the Kraken are on their game actually I'd love to get your 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 perspective on this we're talking to Allison Lucan from uh, Seattle for for Root Sports and the Too Many Men podcast because last night on the postgame show we took a caller from Winnipeg who's a Jets fan and was visiting in town for the holidays and said I watched this team the Canucks are good, and so sometimes we're we're too close to it, and you know we've had the the scar tissue of a couple of years. Like I don't know if we really believe the the Canucks after thirty six games. You're not in it day to day. When you check out uh, the the Vancouver Canucks, what do you see? <laughs> yeah, you know I think that it's it's very real. The um, whiplash, we should say, that yes. Canucks fans are enjoying. It's it's hard to be happy after after some of the stuff that's gone on for sure. But you know when I look at the Canucks right now, this is a team that I expect to win more than lose. I think they've looked really impressive. I, I mentioned Edmonton's lack of margin for error. I think Canuck, the Canucks do have that. And again, there are going to be games when you're not all on. There's going to be a game when who knows what sparked the momentum or the drive in the room. You know, was there money on the board last night for torts <laughs> or this night, tonight being his 1500th game? Is, is that going to spark the Flyers against the Kraken? But I, I like what I see with the Canucks right now this season. I, I, you know, unless there's a slew of injuries that come down the pike, I, I get the concern and I get the overreaction and, and I love the passion. Um, but, but I see a very good team in Vancouver right now. Uh, she is Allison Lucan. We always love chatting to her uh, from Root Sports and the Too Many Men podcast at Allison L on uh, X or Twitter, whatever you call it right now. Uh, Allison, <laughs> we, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys, and have a great weekend and happy new year. Absolutely. Thanks, Allison. Still comes up as Twitter.com for me. Is is, is that the uh, URL? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's both actually. Oh, okay. You, I have a a quick tip for you on that. Well, Izzy, why don't you tell us the quick tip? And it's not as maniacal as Lena's tip about uh, Christmas presents. <laughs> We're never gonna get past. This. So in my day job, editor at the Athletic, senior editor. Stop telling yourself short. If you get the URL for a tweet and you want to embed it into an article. It only works with the Twitter URL. The x.com URL is not compatible to being that was, embedded. That was neither a quick tip nor interesting or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and not nearly t- as wise as mine. Yeah, like that was way more helpful. That's how, how many This people, is useful. How many people listening do you think are embedding tweets into things? Now they know. They they didn't need to know though. Behind the curtain. It was unnecessary. Behind the curtain. Come on. Behind the curtain. Like, do you think that's the curtain that people go through the winding yellow brick road to go see? Yeah. Like, oh, we got to pull the back X.com. curtain X.com, you can't embed. embedded tweets. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was worse than the spreadsheet. So, you know. <laughs> embed. I was like, man, there's got to be a payoff here somewhere. Well, the payoff is that there's two URLs. You brought up the URLs. You did this to yourself. That, that was just like, oh, it's it's weird that it was, it's still Twitter. Well, I explained it to you. And now you're dumping on me. No, that's that's... It's not interesting. You did it to yourself. And your URL is interesting? No, but it was just like, 
the, the, here's this client. Nah. It's like, it's X. It's nah. X. It's got to be changed to X and still Twitter.com. Well, I just told you why. Uh, this one, definitely a helpful tip. Stop. Look, the last thing Izzy needs is is support. and Thank you. Confidence. Hashtag big dom energy. Hashtag <laughs> I'm right. That That's not a good thing to get hashtag big dom energy on. I just come here with, with useful facts for people to understand the interwebs. And just because it doesn't apply to your spreadsheets, you dump on me. Izzy, if I had a tip for your spreadsheets, we, the show would be derailed and we would do 25 minutes on your spreadsheet efficiency. Just like xlookup slash sum if function, something like that? You have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, 650, 650. Izzy just wanted to flex while being editor at The Athletic. True. He's, he, he, we mention that all the time. Senior editor at The Athletic. Uh, I think it's interesting since no, it should no longer be called X then. Yeah, that's still Twitter to me. Still feel like that. Uh, that it's clip. Twitter to me when I embed it. Still real to me. Still real to me. Uh, I don't even know where we're doing the last couple of minutes. Who are we just talking to? Allison. Uh, Allison Lucan. Winter Classic. Winter Classic. Are you excited? It's waned for me. I'll check highlights. The, the first like this five one I, years, I, I might watch because it's because it's lo- like semi local. Two expansion teams. Or the two most recent expansion teams. I spend a lot of time in that ballpark. Yeah. I might check it out. The first five years, it was cool. Now, I feel... As, as soon as they started doing the stadium series, and it's like, how do we get so many of these into yeah. a season? That's when it started to, to wane for me. If it's one a year, I'm probably in. The idea that's like, oh, we need like five or six a year. NHL, let's, they just double down on something that works. <sighs> and absolutely... Law of diminishing returns. Exhaust all, yeah. all potential and fun and opportunity. It, it probably peaked after the one here for me personally. Okay, I'm not saying that's that. not necessarily a memorable one, with the exception of the Rivera yeah. No, I, I'm not angle. saying it was the best one, and then it jumped the shark. I'm just saying, like after that, it's like, man, there's a lot of these. There's a lot of these. If it was the one event every year, this is it. You build it out, and now it becomes like a tradition. But you you kind of stop the momentum of the it becoming a tradition mm-hmm. and making it a point yeah, of they, viewing. They cut themselves off at the news. Yeah, if I know in March they're going to be playing another outdoor game, I'll, I'm like, oh, I got another chance to check that one out. Because it, it's it's cool. Like, the first few were awesome. Like, Crosby and the snow coming down and everything like that. And it was it was awesome. And some of the uh, pageantry of it, I feel like, has been taken away. Although they, they try to do some cool things, like, uh, you know, the jerseys and... The, the march out to the field or out to the, yeah, the rink it, is still it's cool. It's well oiled at this point. It's mm-hmm. just, is it, is it compelling or is it more, you know, Twitter embeds? <laughs> I'm moving on. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, poor officiating has jumped continents. Oh, this is uh, the checking from behind into Beck, uh, Canada, Sweden today. Yeah. I mean, there's a hand on the back into the boards. There are a lot of issues why Canada didn't beat Sweden. Uh, today, Canucks prospects. They were a big reason why. They were crushing it. DPD with the uh, breakup of a two-on-one. Willander He's gets back. The, the game-winning goal. Good pick. Was that two days ago? Good w- pick. I think it was yesterday. Yeah, we got a question yesterday of like, should the Canucks have picked Benson or uh, Jaeger, Jaeger yeah. or who's the third one? I can't remember who the third guy was. But there was a question we got in the inbox. It was like, just... Don't worry, like Will Lander will have his moments. He, you know, had a couple of body checks. He'll, he'll have his moments, and then sure enough, uh, Tom Willander with a goal against Canada, the game-winning goal as well. As uh, the Swedes look really sharp, uh, I, I, I'd like to see a Sweden USA final. 
uh, see how that matches up because those two teams look really strong. Uh, but Lander gets a goal. Lakaramaki almost scores. Mm-hmm. Oh, more unlucky that it didn't go in because it hits the top of the pad and then it winds up getting an assist on the entire sequence of the play. Uh, generating another shot, which actually we talked to Jason Bukla yesterday, who said, "Hey, look out for this top of the zone uh, switch that will that uh, Lekaramaki does." Sure enough, that's the thing that gets the shot off, and uh, they turn it in. Sweden walks away with two nothing winners. But the uh, the controversy later on in the game, down two, was there a major penalty? Not a major penalty for me, but I was a little I surprised the, they, I, they pulled it off the board. Yeah, I, but I thought that was right. I would like to see it be right, but I don't think we see it with enough consistency. Because I just thought that was a hard play. Mm-hmm. But was there a hand in the back? Did he get his hand off to the side? It's also hard with with the, the juniors. There's always kind yeah. of an extra level too. And like, look, when you spend as much time as they did reviewing it and doing frame by frame, you can make your eyes see whatever you want to see at that stage. Uh, the initial impression for me was, yeah, that's a penalty. I don't know if it was a major because it did look like. It was from the side a little bit, but he did the the initial hand does go on to the back, and it's hard to see. For me, it was hard to see if he replaced it somewhere, but for me, it was two minutes and the process of hey, let's go to the cameras. But that took way too long, and pulling off the board was probably too much for me. Video uh, replay taking too long. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Uh, we'll talk about that, and I guess uh, VAR on the other side. Uh, talk about a league that has their issues with uh, video review. Julia Ranney will join us from Sportsnet and The Guardian uh, chatting EPL. Because i got to admit, this is the best EPL season, I think, since 2018-19. It is chock full of storylines, drama every weekend, anybody can beat anybody. We're trending towards like an 84-point uh, champion. Liverpool, halfway through the season, got 42 points. Mm-hmm. We've seen teams put up 99 here recently. Hundreds. Hundreds. And you bring it down to mid '80s. Suddenly, the the it's competitive. It's really competitive. It's no longer just a two horse race. You're of, convincing yourself that Manchester United has a chance. I am every weekend. I'm like, oh, halftime, it's over, and then they win Rescue FC. They're they're three two over Villa, FC. and suddenly it's like, hey, you know, they're only eleven points back. A couple of wins, they catch Arsenal, they catch Liverpool. Uh, you know, it's, keep dreaming. It's there. It's there for a lot of teams. Tottenham's the you know the, the all the hype. And there they are with 36 points. But either way, uh, it's a very compelling season. We'll chat about it with uh, Julia on the way here on The People Show Sportsnet 650. Hour two of the People Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We'll connect with Julia Ranney in just a moment from Sportsnet and The Guardian uh, to chat about the EPL season. She joins us now. Julia, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, we are doing fantastic. Thanks a lot for joining us here. We were just saying before the break, uh, we're excited to chat about, uh, to you about the season because, for me, this has been the best EPL season since 2018-19. And that one, you know, featured, 
you know, shot for shot, Man City, Liverpool going all the way to 98 points, 97 points. And it was exciting to see the, the run in there this year. At the halfway mark, Liverpool's sitting here at 42 points. Do they get to 84? Do they get to 88? Whatever it is. But suddenly, when you lower the championship total, it throws all these teams in the mix. Arsenal, Villa, Tottenham, City, West Ham United, all within a shout there. And you look at this and say, hey, this could be one of the best EPL seasons we've seen in recent memory. Yeah, I think it's absolutely going to be one of the most exciting down-to-the-wire seasons, just like it happened in 2018-2019. Like you mentioned, you know, we have a handful of teams, Liverpool, Arsenal, Villa, City, Tottenham at the top, and they're only really separated by six points. That's truly one or two games that can make the difference when it comes down to it. Uh, It's incredibly hard to predict what's going to happen at this point, and no game is an easy win anymore for any team. Pep Guardiola said that in his press conference today. And, you know, we see the quality of teams have only increased, which is what makes it so exciting because it's so unpredictable at this point. But, you know, while it's been an exciting season, especially with teams shining, maybe who we didn't expect to, like Aston Villa, for example, it's also been a season with more injuries than ever. Fixtures from all competitions are played extremely close together. So I'm worried how that will continue or affect the second half of the season. But nonetheless, I think we're in for a real treat in the new year. Liverpool, top of the table, 42 points from 19 games. And you look at the record, it's it's just the one loss. But compared to Liverpool sides of the past, certainly the championship winning side and the, the team that was competing with Man City in, in the season that Bick was talking about, uh, it, it doesn't seem like this group is, is quite at that level. Uh, is this a matter of a Liverpool team that still has potential this year? Uh, there's still room for them to grow and to find their groove as the season goes on and, and separate themselves from the rest of the teams in that championship push? For sure. I absolutely think this is a team that can go all the way, especially, you know, compared to how they performed last season. They're really going to want to take that step up above. And I know that Liverpool has a banner outside their dressing room that says our identity is intensity. So I really think they're going to turn up this intensity uh, in the new year. And we're, you know, excited to see what happens. But they've also, like I said, been dealing with an injury crisis too. players like McAllister, Jota, among others out So I really don't think Liverpool have actually had a chance to play with perhaps their most fit lineup. So I think maybe when or if we have that ever, I think they'll be in a fantastic groove for the remainder of the season. Overall, I think Liverpool has stood out on many individual aspects of the pitch. For example, in goal, Ali Son, their first choice goalkeeper, has the most clean sheets and the highest saves to shots ratio. Liverpool is one of the best defensive records so far of the season with Virgil van Dijk. He's a huge reason uh, that they are doing so well, of course, in the defensive statistics. And if you're not conceding silly goals, which is something that Manchester City have a problem with, for example, it's, of course, going to help your chances of winning. So I think they're definitely a team to watch uh, to go all the way to the end. Hey, Julia, uh, we're just going to reconnect with you. The phone's cutting out there, so we'll, we'll call you back in a second here uh, as we chat with Julia Ranney there. Uh, we'll connect, reconnect with her in just a second. Benny from the Mox texting as well. The one loss Liverpool had was the VAR farce of a match against Spurs. They've been on the... That was a tough one. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they've been the subject of some VAR decisions as well. They find themselves at 42 points. Your Arsenal squad sitting there at 40 points. Uh, it's going to be an interesting stretch here where... 
Because I, I don't know if we've seen the best of Liverpool. I don't certainly don't think we've seen the best of Arsenal. Uh, certainly don't think we've seen the best of Man City either. Now, as these three teams ramp it up, they're they're the three favorites. It's it, you know top four considerations of of going to Champions League. Those three teams are going in for sure, and they'll pick it up. And I do look at like an eighty eight number is probably what gets you to the to the finish line. But it's gonna be interesting the kick that these three teams have the rest of the way. For sure, I mean Arsenal has really been strong defensively this season. You know last. Uh... Last year, that was some something that got away from them, uh, and then I mean, not not their best performance yesterday, but that's the challenge for them. And I think Liverpool and Arsenal sure have won two right now, but Man City is is Man City, and they've established themselves over the last five six years as just being a dominant force and a force that second half of seasons they they almost don't lose. Uh, well, let's uh, reconnect with uh, Julia Ranney from Sportsnet and The Guardian. We're talking about Man City there, and they've done this thing. It's almost like they've perfected you know, purring in the second half of the season. Uh, you mentioned it that they've been conceding a lot of goals here recently, Julia. Uh, you're looking at this here. Are, is it going to be similar to what we've seen in seasons past from Man City, or are there warning signs that they won't be able to do this? Well, I mean Manchester City. They're champions. They're trouble winners for a reason. They know how to pull themselves out of tight spaces and get the job done. And like you said, this is not their first rodeo. This isn't the first time they've been in jam around the holiday season and still come out on top. I know that the Optus supercomputer has still predicted them actually to win the Premier League. But is that too much pressure? I don't know. I think there could be a pressure problem with Manchester City, of course, coming off of a very hot season. They are going to be the favorites coming in, and uh, it's hard to say if they'll crumble under the pressure or not, but they will get a huge boost in January when some of their key players do return from injury, like Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Holland, Jeremy Doku. You know, they'll have a plan, and the players will know their expectations, but I think it honestly just comes down to, to pressure, and maybe other teams are starting to figure them out too, so they'll have to be a bit more creative going into the new year. So far this season, Arsenal has been able to pull out some results. They've had uh, a couple of late winners uh, deep in the stoppage time. Uh, their game against City was another late goal. But they haven't been the same dynamic team that we saw them at their best last year, where they are consistently scoring three, four goals a game. They have struggled of late to to produce enough offense. Is, is that to you the, the biggest concern in, in their title push? I think so. And just ultimately the ability to consistently close out games, I think that's going to be very uh, important as well. But I also think they have what it takes as well. Um, You know, excluding their recent loss to West Ham, they are doing particularly well in the final quarter of the game. They have an excellent manager. They've been so close in the last couple of years. So maybe third time the charm. We'll have to see. So I've noticed this trend here, Julia, that recently it's like Mm – Tottenham, they're having this fantastic season. And look, I'm a Man United fan, and I've looked at the table sometimes, and I look, and it's like, well, they're only three points ahead of Man United, and there's all this praise being heaped on Tottenham. And look, right now they got 36 points through 19 games. Are they actually good, or are they just a fun story? (laughs) Well, that is a very good question. I think they actually came out of the gate flying. They headed into the October international break on top of the table, They had a cracking start to their campaign, and there's no denying that they really held their own after the departure of Harry Kane. They're having more possession, aggression, and shots on goal in general. But for me, the kicker is that they're just so up and down. They can push top teams like City to the brink, for example, and then uh, suffer a huge defeat to Brighton like they did the other day. So 
it's this inconsistency or this inability to really have that something special that I think will never get them past these top teams like Liverpool and Arsenal, for example. So that said, though, they have a new manager, they have a new identity. I think it might just take them a bit more time to see how that's going to play out. Um, I don't really think they have depth in the bench as well to come back. So maybe signing a few new players in the January transfer window perhaps might be an option for them. But, oh, man, there's uh, so much flack amongst fans for Tottenham Hotspur. But I do really give them kudos and praise for how they've jumped back after losing their star Harry Kane. We're not too far away from uh, Newcastle being a team that was anointed as as the next one. I'm not saying that their recent stretch here is uh, indicative that they're going to completely fall off, but they they are they are struggling now. They're now down to the ninth in the table, uh, off the pace for for the top four and those Champions League places. Uh, what have you made of of Newcastle's recent run of play here, where they they have been they have been struggling to to close off games? And last year they had a ton of draws. So far this year, it's uh, th- those draws are turning into losses. For sure, I personally, it's surprising to me this turn in form. I expected them to continue their momentum from last season, but perhaps they overachieved last season, and maybe now that's coming back to hurt them. I'm not really sure, but. To me, what's also really hurting their chances is that their form away from home is absolutely abysmal. And again, when you're coming down to one goal or one win, being separated from going to the Champions League or being ninth in the table like they are now, every single game matters. They've lost recently to teams like Luton Town and Nottingham Forest when they shouldn't have. They've only won one in their last seven games. So... At this point, the competition, the level is just too good. And I'm not sure if it's a response to their injury crisis um, or maybe there's issues happening behind closed doors. But at this point, if they can't, you know, rebrand, regroup themselves in the new year, I think Eddie Howe's future with the club is definitely going to be in jeopardy. Uh, we were referencing it uh, before you came on, too. Uh, you, Man United get the result versus Austin Villa. They come back from 2-0 down. And, and right now, it's like it's such a chaotic season for Man United. I, I was mm-hmm. joking. I, I've been calling them Rescue FC because they managed to do this here this weekend. And now you look at the rest of the season and, you know, they're, they're trying to rescue this of, of the top 10. They're the only one with the negative goal differential as well. If they're rescuing mm-hmm. something, like what's the ceiling here for United the rest of the way? I think it can go two ways, personally, and it's either good or bad. On the good side, you know, we have Hoyland, who just scored, of course, his first Premier League goal, and that's going to bring lots of fire, lots of energy to the squad, so they could use it as a linchpin, as a turning point moving forward. But I think maybe what's more likely to happen is just continuing of the downfall. I'm a big believer in team culture, and teams that have good culture are the ones that go far. And, you know, like you mentioned, United don't necessarily have the best culture right now. There's disbelief between players and the manager. They're not scoring goals like they used to. And sometimes they don't really seem to have solid leadership on the pitch. So hard to tell. I truly think it's a heads or tails uh, situation. And it's up to the players really to just have that hope and that drive to take on these other teams within themselves. Hey, Julia, we really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the uh, second half of the season, and hopefully we'll connect uh, soon. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks, it's Julia. Uh, Julia Ranney joining us here. Uh, Julia H. Ranney, if you want to follow her on Twitter or social media uh, on the... 
Very exciting EPL season. I didn't even get to ask about Sean Teich, my guy. Everton. 10-point deduction. That is, that is a good Here they story. are. 10-point deduction. No tiki-taka. And uh, you think, oh, well, are they going to get relegated? Well, it didn't take them very long to jump out of the drop zone. And there they are now, ahead of Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United. Which, traditionally, I love the relegation battle. Like, there have been some fant- fantastic uh, final match day Sundays where, by the minute, the relegation battle changes because goal goes in and changes mm-hmm. everything. I mean, outside of Liverpool City a few years ago and then the infamous Manchester United Man City final day, uh, it's usually the final day is usually yeah. relegation battle more than the championship. And this year, at least some intrigue was thrown in with the 10-point deduction. I thought it would maybe, you know, March, February, and they pull themselves out and now they're clear. It's not even the turn of the calendar. Everton have pulled themselves away. But even that's got a lot of intrigue. But certainly those three teams, it's sorted out. And now it, it kind of adds to the intrigue of what's happening at the top of the table too because if we're looking at a scenario where teams are scrapping for 88 points, well, there's a lot of points available because three teams might struggle to get 30. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly it's like all these teams, like even Chelsea, we didn't really chat about Chelsea. I had a brief ch- uh, conversation about Newcastle there. They go into Europe this year, and now they have troubles with the added fixture list, and is it too much? All the injuries that they've had, they're going to fall out. Like That, to me, as much as I, I have my own concerns with Man United, and we had a funny text here, uh, Man United fans are uh, like Canucks of years past. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and, yeah, there's the element. You know, what a place to be. You, you always think that there's going to be a result coming, uh, but there's a, a lot of struggles right now for Manchester United. And Newcastle are worse off right now. They've got... They've really stepped in it. They've got less points. Now, the infrastructure might be theirs, of what Julie was talking about there, the culture, the organization, everything like that. Newcastle's probably better set up to have success, but this has not been a good plan to be in the scenario where they're in right now. Newcastle, no, yeah. definitely not. A bit surprising. Whereas Villa, you know, last year, Newcastle separated itself, mm-hmm. put themselves in position to be... In, in Europe, right, and, and and did so relatively comfortably. Villa's the team that's kind of popped up there, and, and that's just the reality right now where clubs like Manchester United and Chelsea are closer to 10th mm-hmm. than they are to 1st, but they still have incredible resources, lots of talent. I mean, I, I'd love to sit here and dump on Man United, but they've they've still got talented players on that, on that yeah. roster. Yeah, yeah. At halftime, I was like, you know what? I was I was classic as as the contextual was coming in here. I was classic Canucks fan at halftime on Sunday. Just oh, I know. Rebuild. Start with three guys and start everything over. And then at full time, we're like, oh man, three two. I I didn't that's say all, that they're uh, consistent, awesome. but they no, have yeah. talent. Uh, no, Same with Chelsea. It, it's the thing with those three teams, like Newcastle, Chelsea, United. Every year, we're like one of the big six is going to have a season from hell. Yeah, it it just. Law of averages. It's going to happen. Right now, Chelsea are kind of going through it. Newcastle, as we mentioned, going through it. United have their whole host of issues. But they always just have, because the because of the big six, it's, it's like being Georgia and Alabama and Texas and in in college football. You're, you're always just going to have good recruitment phases. And you're always just going to have good talent. That Villa can be operating at perfect efficiency. West Ham's having this fantastic season. Mm-hmm. And it's everything's efficient. But it's like a couple of things go wrong. And suddenly you slip out because they're just natural talent. There's just not that depth. They're just Someone can smack home a winner when you just don't expect it. You're like, wow, man. Yeah. Like, that's why they pay $80 million for that guy. Or 
80 million pounds for that guy. And suddenly you fly at the boards and you fly at the table and you can be a fantastic season like Villa and, and they might finish fifth and it'd be very hard because they've very impressive. Even come to the season, I, you know, we had a lot of textures even before the season saying, hey, watch out for Villa. And I, there were some things that were exciting. Certainly didn't expect third place here in December. Let me ask you this, uh, as we've acknowledged that the, the table's really tight, mm-hmm. there are a lot of teams with a chance at it. Who's at the halfway point, the player, the defining player. I'm not saying who's the player of the season, as in who's been the best player, but mm-hmm. who's when you think of this season, which player do you think of? Because last year, Holland was an absolute force, and he's yeah. still scoring a lot of goals, yeah. but it's not the same storyline. And you look at Tottenham or Arsenal or Liverpool, their stars aren't necessarily having their best seasons either. Mm-hmm. So who who would you say right now, halfway through the season, is the defining player of this Premier League season? Because like no Harry Kane, you know Harry right. Kane has seasons close to thirty goals. He's he's gone now. There's there's been this big shift. That's a good question. Because um, normally I would just go, you know, who's been the best player on the best team? Uh, and my initial reaction was Mosala. That's that's my pick too. Um. Just because it just makes the most sense, uh, and also because like like think where we were in the summer was he going to go to Saudi? Yeah, uh, the, and he's the, he's been really good. Maybe yeah. not quite at the level that he was at three or four years ago, but that was probably my first thought. That was my, yeah. I mean, is I, it, I would make the case. I could make the case for Declan Rice. Is it because? Oh my goodness! Well, huge huge transfer, and has been okay. I will a say at least massive. He, he scored player two last Arsenal. minute winners, right? S- scored the one against United. Yeah. But you didn't have another one. Mm. Was there an assist? I, I thought he had another one. I mean, he's played like almost every minute. Yeah, and has made some huge, huge defensive stops as well. Is, is that also because we have Erling Haaland uh, fatigue? Yeah, probably. And just last year was he, there. There was almost no way he was mm-hmm. gonna replicate last year. And no De Bruyne, so the service, etc., yeah. etc. You know what? I'll also say because they're having a good season. I'll say Ollie Watkins too. Okay, yeah. Because, you know, Villa's sitting in there in third. They're having a fantastic season. I know Jared Bowen's having story. a good season in West Ham. That deserves a lot of uh, praise as well. But, yeah, it, it hasn't been as flashy for, you know, with, with no De Bruyne. It's, it's the – because we've seen what the peak looks like. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not the same what we saw last year. Uh, Tottenham have had their successes. Maybe it's Sun. But it, it's probably Mo Salah. It's kind of boring because we're talking about a 32-year-old, 31-year-old. Uh, there's transfer rumors, but you know he's certainly he's still dangerous. He's still dangerous. How many goals is it? Twelve goals and seven assists. Yeah, that's halfway that's, halfway through the year. It's that's a nice year. He's creating that's a nice year. He's for, he's for creating guys. a goal per game. Yeah, that's phenomenal uh, for him. Scored a beautiful goal against Arsenal. Uh, that's right. Just before the holidays. Yeah. Is, is okay. Is this a thing? I've been wondering about this. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Because we were talking yesterday, it's kind of been an underwhelming, not underwhelming NHL season, but there's a lot of teams that aren't at their peak. Yeah. Right. We went through the teams. Yeah. I would argue that's happening in the NFL as well. That, like, the story of the season for in the NFL has been variance. Is It's hard for teams to be consistent. Yeah. Kansas City, obviously, top of the list. Absolutely. Buffalo yep. has gone through it. Now, Buffalo is sitting here like, hey, they could finish as a two seed all of a sudden, and Josh Allen thrusts himself back into the MVP, MVP conversation, but they fired their offensive coordinator this year. It's been issues. Like, Baltimore has been consistent, but Miami has gone through it. Jacksonville right now is a mess yep. right now. 
And you start going Dallas, through all these teams. Philadelphia. Dallas, Philadelphia, Seattle. Like It has been high variance for a lot of these teams where I've sat here and I, I do my buzzer bell on Mondays. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm out on Dak. It's done. He throws that pick in the end zone. <laughs> and then he's MVP level suddenly for six weeks. And it's, it's happened for a bunch of teams. Pittsburgh, on and on. Cincinnati. And now we're talking the EPL season and there's a lot of inefficiencies. Is this just a weird phase or do you feel like something's um, driving this? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's, it's definitely it's definitely real. Like there is maybe overexposure and like just the way that the, the – especially for the top, top teams. Mm-hmm. And the NFL does a pretty good job of legislating that out with the first place schedules mm-hmm. and uh, the way that that leads to competitive. Yeah. It's – hard you know like new england dominates and wins a bunch of super bowls over the course of 15 years mm-hmm. in large part may, large parts maybe putting it strongly but a big reason is that they played in a terrible division for 15 years it was alex smith the other day was talking about that on i think on espn on a panel show and there was a bunch of expatriates oh, next yeah. to him <laughs> yeah. and he was Teddy just Brucey, rex ryan he, he was yeah. just or no yeah it wasn't it was AFC East yeah. people. So it was yeah. Teddy Bruschi and Rex Ryan, who obviously coached two and teams someone else, so yeah. in the AFC East. And he was just like, the Jets were terrible the whole time. Miami was terrible the whole time. Buffalo was terrible until they got good recently. Mm-hmm. That's that, that helps a lot. That's almost six wins a year. Not that they always won those games, but they won them a lot. Mm-hmm. Those ups and downs are are, are real, man. Uh, and we're, we're seeing it. But there's it's it's a big ebb year, I would say. But it's, it's not like it's happening in the NBA, because, you know, T-Wolves having this season. Denver's obviously th- their thing. Shea, Gilgis, Alexander's mm-hmm. having this fantastic year. Uh, in the West, you know, it was Clippers have stabilized. Lakers are the Lakers. They're, they're doing a fantastic work with uh, old LeBron James. And, you know, like, we're talking Celtics, 76ers, all these teams. Um, that's not happening in the NBA. I'm just curious, like, why it's happening in the other sports. And I don't. I, I also don't see teams pulling out of it, too. Yeah, like what's the, what's the exit? Yeah. What's the, what's the the on ramp to, to yeah. the next thing? Like the Bills would be an example of really high expectations, really strong regular season results mm-hmm. now for a number of years, but it's hard to picture. And they've been on a great stretch here, and they're going to probably go into the playoffs as a team that most teams don't want to play. But it is hard to picture. Well, what's what's the better version of this? Yeah. Right, like, what's the more sustainable version? Of is this? it exposure? Because you mentioned exposure. Um, I'll, I'll even think about the baseball season. Like, think how much conversation was was put in towards the Blue Jays this year, and it was underwhelming. Yeah, the Mariners out here, fifty four percent, man. Uh, <laughs> is that part of it too? That you just look at and say, like, some teams are efficient and some teams just aren't. But it just feels like overwhelmingly, we're getting a lot of inefficient teams in, it- in the age where we shouldn't have inefficient teams. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I look at a team like Kansas City and the bar is just really high. Mm-hmm. But they've done it, right? Whereas the Chiefs or Yeah, like the Chiefs, have, yeah. they've won. Whereas you look at a team now, like, I, I guess it's just faster now, like Miami. The Dolphins objectively have had mm-hmm. a very good year. And they've had some incredible peaks in the season. And then they've had a couple of dips. So, and Dallas would also be an example, right? They obviously play each other in a game that comes down to the wire the other day. Same sort of thing. They have these peaks where you're like, okay, like Dak's, Dak might win MVP or the, this Dolphins offense is mm-hmm. the best we've ever seen. But then three weeks later, it's just like 
down in the tank. So the var- maybe the variance is is what we what we should we can land on with mm-hmm. hockey, the Premier League, and the NFL right now. The variance has never been higher. Now the other two sports, like we're talking about thirty eight games and seventeen, so you, you absorb a certain level of variance. But in the NHL right now, it's been it's also that it's just the the, the team building cycles. Uh, right now and I know that's something that you've had a concern with in terms of um, the contracts long-term contracts yes. being given out to non-elite players yeah there's a lot Where of you're seven. just stuck the- New Jersey's a good team yeah look go look at the number of long six plus year contracts that they have on their books Jack Hughes he's he's a star level mm-hmm. player go look at the rest of the contracts of guys that are six plus year you know, six to eight year contracts on their books. We're gonna be pretty close, probably by. It's and, like and, half the team, and 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 maybe it's already happened. Um, of players, not that their contracts are gonna end in six or seven, eight years, but we're gonna get at least a hundred guys who have signed six plus year deals across the league, six plus years. And we're talking about a league that has how many job openings? Thirty two times uh, twenty three. 720-something. Um, so we're talking about 100, 100 plus contracts across the league yep. that are tied up for six-plus years. It's going to create a logjam. Yep. And it's, In a sport where there are elite players and then a yeah. lot of, like, we talked to Canucks, PDG, Lafferty, yeah. Hoaglander, Suter, these guys are rotating. Those guys obviously aren't getting There's six, hundreds seven of those deals, players. But. And again, I, I, I said this about this demand to look for a top-line player. There's only really about 30 of them here in, Bank, or to, to, in the NHL. And the Canucks need to find one more to contribute to uh, what their future growth is looking like. All right, Spick Nazar, Israel Fair here. On the People Show. This hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. More in a minute here on the People's Show on Sportsnet 650. People show, Vic Nazar, Israel Fair, hanging out with you, senior editor at The Athletic. Not me. I'm just a, just a host of the People Show. Here we are on Cox Post Games as well. Uh, Lena, Elon, running the show today. You as well, 650-650, uh, joining us here in the Kintech studio. Also, this hour of the People Show, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We'll get to Big Six in a bit here. Also, Yannick Hansen will join us at 5 o'clock. Longtime NHLer, former Vancouver Canuck. And you hear him on Tuesdays and Fridays here on Sportsnet 650. Last one before the new year with Yannick. It'll be nice to just review the whole year. It's, it's been now 36 games on either side of the season for Rick Tockett. Right, yeah. So Nice symmetry. Nice symmetry. Uh, is is there 
Someone will take away. We briefly touched on it yesterday with Ian McIntyre as well. But it was a 611 points percentage last year, 681 uh, for Rick Tockett so far this year. So 646 through 72 games. That's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. You know, no one's complaining about that. A lot of complaints, but uh, no one's complaining <laughs> about Rick Tockett uh, has been doing. We'll, we'll touch on that with Yannick Hansen, plus a bunch of stuff. And I actually, I'm curious to get this uh, from Yannick. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's play this back from Elliot Friedman first from today's 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, we, we touched briefly on this clip that went around yesterday from the Game Notes podcast of, of Spitting Chicklets with Colby uh, Armstrong and Matt Murley. We touched on it yesterday. If you want to go listen to that first segment of the show on yesterday's podcast. But here's uh, you know, Elliot's continued reaction and just about all the noise that creates and how this becomes a discussion point, whether you know your, your, your thoughts into the rumors notwithstanding, uh, it, it creates a lot of buzz. And here's uh, what Elliot Friedman had to say today on the 32 Thoughts podcast. The one thing I'm always careful about is you hear a lot of things at this time of year and you kind of bank them, right? People's feelings on December 29th could be very different than their feelings at the end of April or even in June or July. The feelings change. I'm always aware of that. Circumstances change. Feelings change. I, I would say about this one, I, I think it's premature. But what I would say is that there's there's one person who can stop all of this, and that is Pedersen. I believe the Vancouver Canucks have decided that when Pedersen is ready, they're going to throw a significantly sized bag of cash at him. I think the Canucks have made the decision. They're, they're going to do this. That's from Elliot today on the 32 Thoughts podcast. A small snippet of a large discussion that they had. So, okay, here's my thought. Because the, the, there's truth in that. That if, if this becomes a, a bigger story, not even just the, 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 the Chicago thing, just in general, if this is a routine that every two weeks there's some rumor about Elias Pettersson and, hey, the way to stop it is to put pen to paper, and there you go, it's it's not a story anymore. But does it serve the Pettersson camp to even explore that idea? Because if you're able to handle the news and able to handle the, the, the fiasco of it all, mm-hmm. who cares? News be damned. Now, is that putting you ahead of the team's success and all that sort of stuff? And look. Maybe that's annoying to Elias Pettersson, but all these things are leverage points for Pettersson. Because I'm like, there was some fear from some fans yesterday, even despite all the criticisms that come to the inbox. <laughs> There's some people that say, "What Pettersson to Chicago? No!" And that's why we kind of broke it down yesterday. Okay, well, what would it actually entail and how would it go about? Is it believable that a team would do that? But it's it's leverage. Every one of these stories is to the benefit of the camp if they want these things to exist. Yeah, I mean, just look at the NBA. And that's how that's how stars move around, or that's how stars get their money. And it's, I guess, a little different in basketball, given the way the contracts work in, in the NBA. We have a pretty decent framework of what Pedersen would sign for, and I guess ultimately the decision in his court will be assuming that he's entertaining the idea of re-signing with the Canucks. How long is it? Is you know, will will he buck the trend and not sign the max term? By all accounts and all of the reading tea leaves and trying to figure this guy out, that appears to be on the table that he's not gonna just do 
the stereotypical NHL superstar thing, mm-hmm. sign that max term. But it's, uh, I mean, the stuff's the stuff's out there, and it, mm-hmm. this is a market that that certainly feeds on it. Now he could do the thing where he's just like squash it all of come to the media and be like, oh, I'm not talking about the contract in public and stories are stories and my play will dictate it and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if that strikes me as his personality no, it to doesn't. do that. So it, it would color me surprised if that happens, but that's an option. But I just think between now and the trade deadline, because that's the next point where it'll calm down. It's it's not going to get calmer between now and the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. If 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 you were annoyed by the story yesterday, you had some fear striking to your heart. You're like, I don't know. It's going to get crazier. Either a deal gets signed or the trade deadline happens. Because after the trade deadline, it's end of season playoffs. The focus becomes that. Not that it isn't now, but it's just, it, it's it's a natural point where you can say, okay, this is actually on pause until the end of the season, and then end of season draft is going to be a spot. July one, all, all all these markers that we talked about in the off season, but it's going to be an ongoing thing, and it's going to be interesting. Not necessarily how the team handles it, because they're waiting. For, yeah, like we've the, reached the, the point with yeah. that. Elliot Friedman is comfortable saying on his podcast that they've made the determination that they're they're pushing the chips in, and that wasn't always the case mm-hmm. from the Canucks' point of view yeah. in reporting. In reporting, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it was always been the case. What are they going to do? Walk away from a talent like this? No, but uh, the number, sure, like that. It wasn't just the slam dunk. But this again, is going to me, be a negotiation. I, I always use a phrase. I said it yesterday. Let's act like we've been through a superstar negotiation before. Well, so that's why it now the Canucks publicly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I think it's important to say that this wasn't always the public case. Sure, is that they they have they're on the station saying you know mm-hmm. let's let's talk. Now it's Patterson. He has the the serve. My read, the hammer, is that he's probably not going to do anything and just he he's comfortable sitting with it. Yeah. And I made the comparison yesterday. We we saw this with the Sedins, where it was there was a real fear that they were going to walk at, at one point. And you know maybe revisionist history and they at the last minute they decide no we're going to stay here and then the success comes and it's very easy to write that story once it's been told. But the Canuck, like, there's there's nothing for for the Canucks to do other than initiate, engage in the in the contract talks themselves. You don't really need to act in good faith until you're ready to act in good faith, right? And, and these stories can come out and all these things. It can be you know part of the entire sequencing to drive the dollar. And man, while we talk about games and oh the power play does this and this. This is the game. This is the game for the execs, the, the the executives of the world and the agents of the world of trying to garner out an extra 50k. We might say, is it really worth even doing? Logical conclusion gets to the logical conclusion. If you live in the world where you have to fight for every dollar, then I'm, and again, I'm not saying these stories are being engineered by either side, but I also don't think anyone's going to try to do anything to stop it. And so between now and March 8th. If something get, comes to some sort of resolution by then, and you know, to be honest, like the, the Pedersen camp would be well served to just wait till the summer. Now, should you come out and say we're going to wait till the summer? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But every day that something like this comes up, it's probably a good thing for them. 
and and you have to live in the ecosystem of making it work for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a game there with uh, and the talk going into the season was clear bet on himself at this point. He's going to go out there and have a great season. Started off pretty good, mm-hmm. putting up some some big numbers. The production numbers are still strong, but the perception has changed a little bit, uh, just based on the text that yeah, he's, I'm he's, reading here. He's tenth in scoring, so the 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 numbers are the, like and, that, and that's changed. always been the case with him. Yeah, e- even looking back at the bridge deal, and there's clearly a portion of the fan base, or maybe just a few people who text into the station that don't believe in him and never have believed in him. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. His case statistically, he has always been. It's maybe not actually 99th percentile, but he's always been in the camp where the players that have put up the numbers that he's put up at his age don't bust. Yeah, like he he's been in that camp since his first season in the NHL and has continued to build on that, and you get last season. And I'm sure you can keep saying he's lucky, he's not a superstar, et cetera, et cetera. The numbers are putting him in that camp, and that's how NHL contracts work. So he's going to – it does behoove him to continue to take the biggest sample possible, where, again, in his sample, even with the down season in the Canadian division and having missed some games, he's in the top camp. Like, he has – he holds the cards because he has the numbers that back it up, and that's how the contracts work in this game. And even with this down period, like you just said, Vic, he's, he's still 10th in scoring. Look, we have a routine texter who says, well, he's only got 13 goals on the year. Okay, well, Austin Matthews has got 28, and Elias Pettersson has more points in him. As far as Puck ending up in the goal, now mind you, it's in 31 games for Austin Matthews, but availability is an ability. If you miss games, like oh, well, that, 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 that's part of the conversation. Although, as uh, Toronto, are, are, are they actually even at uh, twenty or thirty-one games so far for Toronto? Yeah, so he's missed one game. He's missed, yeah, not not a ton. Um, so points per game, okay. Austin Matthews will be ahead, but as far as production, it's there for Elias Pettersson, and the statistical case, which is what a lot of these things are mentioned on, because. You come to the log- You use facts to come to the conclusion of what someone's is worth. It's going to be a large sum of money, and until you get to the stage where Elias Pettersson pushes the button, saying, "This is how many years I want," these might be common occurrences. And also, there's thirty other teams, thirty-one other teams that would love a scenario where a wandering eye prevails for Elias Pettersson and saying, "Hey, I wonder what's going on over there." It's to the benefit of thirty-one other teams for sure. So yeah. it, it, it's going to be a while, and uh, the fun thing is, is we get to go through the entire sequence of the conversation. We don't always have to just focus on the one decision, right? We we get every little byproduct of it, but there's only one decision that ever gets made, and it's going to be a while, I think, until that gets signed. I do think it happens before the season's out, but boy, it'll be fun between now and then. <laughs> it gives us something to do. Absolutely. 650, 650, you can keep chiming in uh, with your thoughts. We'll ask uh, Yannick Hansen about this. I, I'm curious if we can get uh, Yannick's sales pitch to Elias Pettersson of staying here in Vancouver. And also, you know, if, if, if you're the Pettersson camp, what, what would cause your eye to wander a bit? Uh, we'll get into it all with Yannick Hansen coming up in about 10 minutes. Before then, on Fridays... Uh, we go to the NFL season, and 
try to make some picks with Big Six. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Take it to the house. It's Big Six. My good luck charm, Israel Fair here with me. 4-1-1 one, one last week, man. It's all me. It's I'm all taking you. credit. 46-44-6 on the year. 51.1% on the right side of the ledger. So let's get to it. Rams, minus 5.5 at the Giants. Why risk trying to confirm your playoff spot next week versus the 49ers and risk missing out? You lose this week, you lose next week. The 49ers could be in a bad spot. Why rely on the 49ers, you know, benching guys if they end up with the number one seed? Just take care of your business this week against a New York Giants team that I worry about how they come back into this game if the Rams offense, which has been one of the best in the league this season, they start to get out ahead. Is Tyrod going to push them back into a spot where they can backdoor cover this? So I'm going to lay the five and a half points. Rams win 30 to 13. Bears, minus two and a half versus the Falcons. This defense, since the Montez Sweat acquisition, has been improving. Now, Justin Fields has also been showing out quite the athlete. And is this also a showcase spot for Justin Fields? With the way it's trending for the Buffalo Bills, or for the uh, Buffalo Bills, for the Chicago Bears, they're sitting there with a the, the number one overall pick because of Carolina. There might not be anything Justin Fields can do to sway the Bears off of drafting a QB number one. One of the destinations could be Atlanta that could be in the QB market. Bears going up against the Falcons, minus two and a half. I'm going to lay the points here in this spot. Falcons, a bit of a disaster. Bears win 24-17. Raiders, plus three and a half at the Colts. Speaking of better defenses, since the McDaniels firing, this defense has been reformed. The secondary is looking really strong. We know about Max Crosby, how good he is. The vibes are better in Las Vegas. And also the fact that Antonio Pierce is coaching for the contract. And it's working. This isn't just play out the string right now. The second in the AFC West. Secretly, like they're not eliminated from playoff contention. So the Raiders are just hanging around here. And the Chiefs keep stumbling. We were just talking about them before having their struggles. I'm not saying they're going to make it, but you got a coach playing for it for his contract. You got players that are starting to swing around. Aiden O'Connell has had his issues. I get it, but they're they're frisky here these last two weeks versus the Colts and the Broncos plus three and a half. I'll take that. Take the points. Raiders win 17-14. Buccaneers minus two and a half versus the Saints. I'm going to lay it in this spot. I just don't think it's enough. I've swayed my opinion on the Saints. Uh, I, I thought their schedule was so bad that they'd be able to overcome it. Truth is, you need a certain level of talent. They kind of remind me of the Colts of last season where the schedule was so bad and they just never really got their footing. They didn't have enough upside, and it just never got going for the Saints. And suddenly, Baker is whipping it around the park. Mike Evans is having a fantastic season. The offense, which was, to me, the big worry, has been functional. And two and a half just feels like a short number for a team that's coming off that Thursday night football loss. Their season, it's cooked. Yeah, they're they're hanging around too in that bad NFC South. But this is a chance for the Buccaneers to stomp away the opposition and find themselves leading the division. If things go right, they can clinch even this weekend. I will take the Buccaneers minus two and a half. Texans minus four and a half versus the Titans. 
The Jaguars are floundering, and it's all there for the Texans to take. C.J. Stroud back, health, back healthy. The opportunity to take this division, three teams sitting at eight and seven, all of them below a negative point differential as well. I think the Texans of this group probably have the best entire coaching staff, offense and defense. Probably the best quarterback in this scenario because of how Trevor Lawrence is dinged up. So Texans get this game this week, and then they play Indianapolis to wrap up the season. There's a chance the Houston Texans could be division winners. And in this spot, minus four and a half, I'll lay the points. Texans over the Titans, who are starting an injured Will Levis. So it's it's tough enough to be good as a rookie in this league, let alone injured and rookie. I'm laying the points. Texans win 27-17. And finally, Seahawks minus three and a half versus the Steelers. Last week, Mason Rudolph, a couple of short passes go a long way for George Pickens. That stuff is hard to do week after week after week. And I think the Seahawks slowly figuring it out, and especially at the right time. Pete Carroll, fantastic end of season. Minus three and a half for a, for a, an offense that's starting to turn around, managed to find multiple pass-catching scenarios now. Jackson Smith and Jigba's coming on strong, emerging as kind of the number one target. DK Metcalf is finishing the season strong. He looks a bit healthier. Lay the points in this spot, 27-13, Seahawks win. That is Rams minus five and a half, Bears minus two and a half, Raiders plus three and a half, Bucks minus two and a half, Texans minus four and a half, and Seahawks minus three and a half. A lot of favorites this week as we wrap up the season, or we're getting close to the end of the season for Big Six. So on the other side, Yannick Hansen will join us here on the People Show, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.